Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. Actually, 1 through 10. And uh, you'll notice that it follows on the heels, almost on the heels of the other feeding, the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark chapter 6. So, is this the same one? Is this a different one? If it's a different one, why is there a second one? So those are some of the questions here, but ultimately you see Jesus feeding our hunger. And uh, verses 1 through 8 of Luke chapter, Mark chapter 8. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? He answered them, he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before them, and they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to them also before them. So they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments, Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. Immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmanutha. Our focus is on verses, um, the first part of verse 8. So they ate and were filled. Or you can say, and they ate and were satisfied. That brings us to almost, well, halfway through the Gospel of Mark, at least. So, you know, we heard last week that Christ can open our deaf ears to hear him. That's what he wanted to show in the sign, right? Of opening the ears of the deaf mute men. He has the power, he has the ability to open our ears to hear the word of God as well. And that's a sign. It's it's a sign that points to that. Understand, the reality is not in the sign itself, but it points to a greater reality, and that Christ opens our ears. And now what we see today is Jesus feeds us too. You know, you think of Psalm 81.10. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But you know, the only way you open your mouth wide is if the Spirit of God creates a sense of hunger in you. And that's what we see in the multitudes here. They're flocking. They're coming. You see a great big, almost like a great big worship service here. They want to hear Jesus and they want to be fed by him. The sign of the bread points to something greater. It points to Jesus, the bread of life. John 6, who truly satisfies. Now, just a few moments ago, we talked about the fact that three or four weeks ago, we heard about the feeding of the 5,000. 
And you see that in Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 33. And you're saying, well, there's so many similarities here between, if you read that one, Mark 6, 33 to 43, and this passage, there's so many similarities. Both feedings occur where? In a desert. Both emphasize the compassion of Jesus to the crowds. Both repeat the question of the disciples, how many loaves? Sorry, to the disciples, how many loaves do you have? The command to sit down is also the same in both. In both, you see Jesus praying, and you also see the disciples distributing the bread, the elements, or the the fragments before the crowds. In both, you see that the people ate and were satisfied. In both, leftovers were gathered after both meals. And in both, you see Jesus dismissing the crowds and going into the boat (laughs) and crossing the sea. So, you say, well, what's the point here? Well, there are differences, mind you. You look at some of the differences. Instead of five loaves and two fish, how many loaves? Seven. Seven loaves and several fish. And literally the translation here would be sardines. So it's a different kind of fish. And instead of 5,000 men, how many men? 4,000. And there are how many baskets left over? Seven. Instead of 12. So why are there these two feedings? Why is this in the gospel twice, you may ask? Well, there's one big difference. Last time you recall, who, which crowd was Jesus feeding? They were the Jews. They were the covenant people of God. You could say they were the, call them the church of the day. Okay, here, the multitude is mainly consisting of Gentiles, those who don't know God, those who worship other gods. Certainly there are probably some Jews there, but you notice it's in the Decapolis, on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had just had his big tour. Remember how he departed from Israel? And he goes into the heathen lands. He goes into Tyre and Sidon and goes up around Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. And then now he goes south and he goes into the Decapolis. There's something significant here. And it hinges on one Greek word. I'm going to say the Greek word. I rarely do it. But the Greek word is kortadzo. That word cortazo means to fill, to satisfy, to feed. And it's only used three times in the book of Mark, in the Gospel of Mark. This specific word, fill, satisfy. Okay, the first time it's used is when he feeds the Jewish multitudes. Remember there back in 642? So they all ate and cortazo. They were filled. Okay, then Jesus departs from Israel. He goes into the land of those who don't know God, the idol worshipers. And he goes to Tyre and Sidon. That's where he goes. And there, whom does he meet? A Syrophoenician woman whose daughter has an unclean spirit. And she keeps on asking Jesus to cast the demon out of her. What does Jesus say? Let the children be filled first. 
That means he's talking about the bread. <laughs> Let the children be filled first. For it is not good to take the bread from children. Right? It's not good to take away from the children the bread that belongs to them. Okay, that's basically... So it's talking about bread, it's talking about filling. Let the children be filled first. Who are the children here? The Jews. But you know this woman begs, and you see how the Lord Jesus gives her faith, and he also fills her, and he heals her daughter. It's a turning point. It's a turning point. It's a new page in the ministry of Jesus, because now the gospel is starting to go to the Gentiles. It's all a picture. It's all a foreshadowing of what's going to happen after Pentecost. You see it right here. Jesus is now going to the Gentiles. He's teaching them, and now he is showing that he's the bread of life, not only for the church, not only for the Jews, but he's the bread of life for the world. The whole world. Every people, tribe, tongue, and nation. That's where he goes. And you know, this is going to express itself in a bigger and fuller and far more majestic way after Jesus gives his life, gives his life for sinners, gives his life for the salvation of the world. When I mean world, I mean every individual. But for the world, and he shows that he has done this by rising from the dead, he will pour out his spirit on the church so that they, on his behalf, may continue to share the bread be the pantry for the world. This is where it's going. But we begin here. We see here that Jesus feeds. Feeds us. He feeds us. He's not there physically giving us bread today. It's a sign. Think of it. It's a sign. A sign that points to what? He feeds us by the word of God. For hungering, so open your mouth wide. And I will fill it. Basically, you see all these themes coming together here. We can eat and be filled. If we're not filled, that's our problem. It's not because there's a lack in God. There's not a lack in his word. It's a lack in us, if there is that problem. So in light of our text, we have no excuse whatsoever not to be filled. Because you see Christ and his compassion. He freely gives. It's free. No cost. In his in, in compassion, his love is his motive. And we see also in the last two verses, 8 and 9, in his power, he fully satisfies. So in his compassion, he freely gives. In his power, he fully satisfies, truly satisfies. That's what we're seeing from this miracle this morning. He freely gives, he does without cost, without money. Our passage begins by saying in verse 1, in those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to them in those days. What are those days? It was those days in which he was traveling through the non-Jewish lands, through the lands that, that were worshiping other gods. I mean, the Jews... They weren't that hungry. They weren't coming to seek Jesus to find a filling. Right? They were just going to him for other reasons. So Jesus goes to the heathen lands. And you know, there's a Syrophoenician woman. 
<laughs> what faith? And he continues to circle around, and now he's in the Decapolis, east of the uh, Sea of Galilee. It's in those days. In those days when he was traveling outside of the land of Israel, outside of Galilee. You begin to see in verse 13 of chapter 8, that's when you see him going to the other side of Sea Galilee again, into the land of, of Israel. That's verse 13. It's a little bit later. But here it says the multitude was very great. This crowd clung to Jesus. How long were they with him? Three days. Three days. In Mark chapter 6, one day. This is three days. As a matter of fact, there's probably the same crowd, if you look back to verse 33 of chapter 7, where Jesus you know, isolated the uh, deaf mute man from the crowd to heal him. It's the same crowd, except maybe the crowd is even getting bigger. And you know something else about them? They're very receptive to the word of Jesus. I mean, that's by the grace of God. It talks about there, if you look at verse 2, they remained with him. That word remained means they were steadfastly devoted. They were all ears. There was a hunger in them. He's teaching them. Christ is exhausted. They're exhausted. But they can't just get enough of him. They can't get enough of that bread, the bread of life. They're getting so attached to him. They're clinging to him. It's so striking, isn't it? So striking. And then Jesus now calls his disciples and he says, I have compassion. What? These people? Yeah. I have compassion on this multitude because they have now continued with me. There it is. Continue with me. They've been steadfastly devoted with me. For three days, they have nothing to eat. He's talking about the physical bread. Right? Jesus is just using this as a sign again to point to himself. He's the, the bread of life. He says, if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they're going to faint on the way. They're going to fall apart. They're going to collapse. For some of them have come from afar off. I have compassion for these people. You know that word for compassion? It's the kind of compassion when a mother sees her baby coughing so hard that you wonder if the baby's going to live. Your, your stomach just goes so... Your gut wrenches. That's the kind of sense. You see, you see how Jesus identifies with the longings and the hungerings and, and his gut is just wrenching for them. He's giving his life for them. And ultimately he will on the cross. But he's so moved deeply within himself. That's the compassion that Jesus is echoing here. That kind of compassion. They're hungry. They come from long distances away. Jesus didn't want to send them away empty. He wants to send them away full. And in this sign, right, with the physical bread, he's pointing to himself. He's the one. He's the one that can truly satisfy empty hearts, spiritually destitute uh, hearts. He's the one who fills. You know, in the Gospel of Mark, this word compassion is not used for those whom you would naturally have compassion for. Maybe children, or friends, or family. It's used for those, it's used for people that you might not like. That's the context here. 
for people you might not like, people who might be offensive to you. That's Christian compassion. That's, that's the compassion that exudes in the, in the lives of Christ's disciples, ought to exude in the lives of Christ's disciples. That's the compassion that you see in Christ who became man in order to enter into our existence. You get the picture here. You have, for example, Mark 1, verse 41. Jesus moved compassion when he reaches out his hand and touches what? A leper. No one ever touched a leper. Or in the multitudes of Mark 6. Yeah, he had compassion for them. But you know what kind of people they were? They were from the church, but they had ulterior motives. They didn't want Jesus as their savior. They wanted to force him and make him a king over them and get rid of the Romans. How offensive that must have been to Christ, especially from the church, having wrong ideas about Jesus. And now, here he is among Gentiles. The people, that the Jews just ostracized them. They, had, they wouldn't touch them. And now you see Jesus. He's I have compassion. My heart breaks. My heart breaks for them. They need bread. They need the bread of life who offers forgiveness, who alone offers that life that any man, that every man needs. Jesus shares this with his disciples, not because Jesus is at a loss what to do. He's not saying, by the way, we have no bread. Uh, do you have anything to eat? Uh, I don't, I'm not sure what to do. That's not what Jesus means here. No, he wants... He's telling his disciples, he wants his disciples to share in his compassion. That's what he wants. He's training them. He's teaching them. He wants them to share in it. Without compassion, without the compassion of Christ, can a person truly be a true follower of Christ? Honestly. Honestly. Without the compassion of Christ in us, can a disciple truly be a follower of Christ? Because when his life is in us, it exudes. And that's what he's teaching his disciples. He wants them to share in it. To share in it also for the Gentiles, for the crowds. (laughs) Disciples are perplexed. They're helpless. How can we satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? Wait a minute, had they not just been on the feeding among the 5,000? They witnessed it. They witnessed the ability, the power of Christ, how he multiplied the bread. Reminds us of Psalm 78, verse 11, doesn't it? Where God says of his people, they forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. They forgot. They forgot who Jesus was. And what he was able to do. And that's what happens. Unbelief. The sin of unbelief inhibits the true flow of Christ's compassion. Right? It's unbelief that inhibits it. That restrains it. That stops it. And Jesus is training his disciples and saying, You know, I have compassion on you. You show the same compassion to them. That's what he means by getting them involved and sharing in his compassion ministry. 
And yet, you know, in the midst of it, you see the compassion of Jesus even on his own disciples. He has so much patience. He doesn't rebuke them. <laughs> he doesn't do that at all. He simply says, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. Why seven? Now, we have to be careful when we attribute too much importance to numbers. But I think you can say something about this number seven that is very significant here. Because some, seven is a, a number of completeness, perfection, wholeness. And it may symbolize the total number of Gentile nations. Why do we say that? Because if you go back to Deuteronomy 7, verse 1, when Israel was in the land, the Lord instructs, in Deuteronomy 7, verse 1, the Lord instructs Israel, and he mentions, or lists, seven nations there, the completeness of the, of the lands that they were to conquer. Look at Deuteronomy 7, verse 1. God says to, through Moses, When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess, and has cast out many nations before you, and then he mentions them, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, that's four, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations, he even mentions seven nations, you shall utterly conquer them and destroy them. And now what is Jesus doing? He's feeding them. He's feeding The Israelites back then were commanded to destroy, and now Jesus feeds them. Why that is, why the change, we'll explain that in a moment. But what we need to see here is that Jesus is willing to be destroyed. He's willing to give his life. He's willing to sacrifice, what compassion. He's willing to sacrifice his life for them on the cross. Destroy is a little bit of a strong word, but he's willing to sacrifice his life on the cross and be put to death. You know, you know two things in verses 6 and 7. In the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus has his disciples seat the crowds. But here, Jesus personally seats the crowds. <laughs> There's a difference. He wants to show that he is also the bread of life for them. It's like saying he's the bread of life also for this entire community around us. He gets very personal. He reaches out to them. He doesn't keep his arm distance from them. He gets very close to them. And second of all, what does Jesus do? He takes the seven loaves. He gives thanks. He breaks the loaves. And then it says he gave them to his disciples to set before them. Notice how he involves the disciples? They're also to distribute the bread. They're to share the bread. And what happens? When you share the bread, watch it multiply. Watch it multiply. And that's exactly what happens. The sense is that Jesus kept on giving. That's the meaning there. When he says gave, it means he kept on giving. Giving and giving and giving and giving. And it was never ending. And as that was happening, the miracle was happening right under the hands of Jesus as he was breaking the bread. Right? See the ability of Christ. You know, what's going on here? We have to see this in the context of the history 
of God's unfolding plan, God's unfolding plan in history. And we have to go all the way back to Genesis 12 for that. What happens in Genesis 12 was God say, God called Abraham out of the earth of the Chaldees from his gods, and he promised Abraham that through his children, who would come into the world? Jesus. And in Jesus, he even said that to Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Jesus is fulfilling that. In Jesus, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Israel was to be a pathway, was to be a pathway of blessing to the nations. Same with the church. The church doesn't exist for itself. The church is here to praise God, to worship God, and to be a pathway to the nations so that the nations may also worship our God. Jesus is fulfilling this promise right here. Yes, he has come. We live in the days in which we can speak now in the past and say he sacrifices life on the cross. He arose again from the dead. He has poured out his spirit on the church just as he promised. And now through the, you could say, through the distribution of bread, uh, the preaching of the gospel, right? The distribution of bread. Jesus gives himself freely to the world as the bread of life, but he uses you. He uses you and me. He wants to involve us. He wants us to have that same compassion. And that compassion, of course, is by the grace of God through faith in him. That's the way it's built up. That's the way it flows. He gave himself freely to the world as a bread of life, calling all people to repent. And you know the reward of repentance, the fruit of repentance, I should say, the fruit of repentance is bread, real bread, good bread, tasty bread, fresh bread, the bread of life. You know the sign ultimately points to Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Where Paul says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For what purpose? That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. You know, in our congregation, we're doing what God calls us to do. Bringing the gospel to people who don't know him. That's what we're called to do. And we can praise God for his work and by his spirit, how Jesus continues to touch and give bread. But he uses us. He uses us to fulfill his plan and purpose. Something else. Sunday by Sunday, Jesus is here feeding us. In a certain sense, you can say, you're the multitude. And he comes Sunday by Sunday offering his word. That's why it's, it's so offensive when we're not there to to meet him to eat from him to eat of the bread of life it hurts him it grieves him he wants he wants us to have that hunger it's a hunger we can pray for it's only then that we can open our mouths wide and he fills it he feeds us yeah not only through his word but from time to time, he feeds us in the bread and the wine. His sign, 
nourishing us and strengthening us and say, you know, you're going out into the desert again in your workplaces, in your homes. You need to be nourished. You need to be strengthened. Remember, I'm the bread of life. He pictures it before us in the wine and in the bread. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. Wow. There's more here. We come for bread. But Jesus also says, you're a bread pantry to the world. There's nowhere else in the city except in the church where there's a real bread pantry. A bread pantry that can truly satisfy hunger. A bread pantry where God's people offer Christ, crucified and risen. You notice that he also in our midst, many people have come from afar. Like in Jesus' day, people we might not like, people we might think are a little bit offensive, but their need is the same as ours. Grace. We need God's grace. They need God's grace. We need God's bread. They need God's bread equally as much. They're not less deserving than we we're just as undeserving as they. It's just that God found us and gave us bread and we want that God may find them and give them bread too and have life. Let not unbelief hinder us from opening the pantry and offering Jesus the, the bread of life. He wants us to share in his compassion as he has had compassion on us. What does Paul say? The love of Christ compels us. Right? When the love of Christ is in us, it compels us, it drives us, it motivates us. We want that for others. The church is God's, is to be God's home and table in the midst of strangers. We might act sometimes as if this bread is limited, and maybe the pantry is almost empty. That's just for us. So we hold on to it. But brothers and sisters, there is enough. There is more than enough of Christ to go all around, even throughout the whole world. And that brings us to our second point. It's a shorter point. The power of Christ. <clears throat> he is able to fully satisfy you. You know, you ever have those longings inside of you that you don't feel totally satisfied? And maybe you, maybe it's, Maybe it's lust for something or greed for something. You long for something and you never get satisfied. Christ says, you've got to turn away from those things because you're going to find it in me. And that's what we see in verses 8 and 9. So they were all, ate, they ate and were all filled. And they took up seven large baskets of leftovers, leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000. Notice, first of all, the abundance. Before we get into the, the fact that he truly satisfies, notice the abundance here, just briefly. Notice from the seven loaves and a few fish, Jesus fed 4,000 men. And if you look at Matthew 15, that also, that's, that's besides men, sorry, women and children. Here it mentions 4,000, but Matthew 15, it mentions also women and children besides them. And still they gathered seven large baskets of leftover fragments. By the way, that word for basket, <laughs> it's like a huge hamper. 
Um, kind of the basket that Paul was let down in over the wall. That's how big the basket was. So seven of those big uh, baskets, weed baskets probably. Um, seven extra baskets. There's enough bread and more than enough bread to feed all the nations of the world. See how many left over? Seven. There's enough. There's, there's definitely enough to feed all the nations of the world. By the way, if you look at the feeding of the 5,000, how many disciples were there? Twelve. How many baskets were left over? Twelve. <laughs> so, twelve disciples, twelve baskets. Here, seven baskets, symbolizing the totality. Wow, this is Christ, the King of the nations. This is the Christ who calls us to, to submit to him in faith that we may live in obedience to him and, and, and just enjoy a, a glad submission, a glad joy, being filled with the bread of life. It's not magic, what he did here. It's not a power of a superhero. This is the power of the Son of God. Truly man, truly God, who comes to reverse the curse through his death and resurrection by the power of his spirit. He comes to restore fellowship. And in the fellowship, he comes to restore a table. I mean, think of table, think of fellowship, think of bread, think of food. Yes, a fellowship that man broke. Think, remember how man broke that fellowship with God? By eating. But by a disobedient eating. By a disobedient eating. <clears throat> when he ate from the forbidden tree. And though man rejected God's table and said, no thanks, though he rejected God's bread, God comes in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who became man. And in his grace, in his compassion, he opens his home again to us, to strangers, to foreigners, sacrificing his only begotten son. Where? On a tree. One who so loved us and gave himself for us. Jesus is the bread of life for the world. There is enough grace, enough shed blood on the, tr on the cross to cover for the sins of the whole world. It's sufficient. It's not that there's not enough. It's sufficient. Enough blood. But it's powerfully effective. And whom? And those whom God has given to Christ. In them, God's grace works powerfully and effectively to believe in Christ and bring them to salvation and keep them in the way of salvation. People from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. Abundant. But he fully satisfies as well. They ate and were filled, they ate and were satisfied. Through this sign of the bread, Jesus shows that he fully satisfies. You know, recently I met a, <clears throat> a friend. She was a Siddharji. And in our talking, he invited me to join his religion. You should become, you should join my religion. And he said, no, you go ahead and try it. And I said to him, you know what? I have no reason to. I have Christ. I have everything I need. My search is over. I have no reason to search anymore. 
I have come to where I need to be. I have everything that I have in him, that I need in him. And then I wanted to share the bread with him. And he rudely declined. Right? Without Christ, without Christ, your search is endless. You will never be satisfied. If you don't know Christ, if there's only here that does not know Christ, he calls you to come to him. Because he fully satisfies. He's the bread. The bread of life. The one who truly forgives to all who repent and believe on him. And he gives life. In Christ you have everything. In Christ there is forgiveness of sins. There's a table. A new home. An endless pantry that never gets stale. Bread that's always fresh and new. Augustine, a 4th century church father, he said this in his famous line in his confessions. If you ever get a chance to read his confessions, they're excellent. But he has this one line, he says, you've been made, sorry, he says this about God. He says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Being united to Christ by faith, is like a fish no longer trying to live outside of the water, but live in the water. It has everything. It's in its natural habitat again. So it is being united by faith in Christ. In the campaign of the last federal election, you see the endless quest of empty hearts looking to money. 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 More money. Money. The problem of gun violence, to solve it. Money! Of teenage uh, suicide. Money! More money! Money! Poverty. Money! Domestic violence. Money! More money! But you know what? It's like drinking out of a cup with holes in the bottom. Is that ever satisfied? <laughs> You're still demanding, still demanding, still demanding. And it goes on and on, on and on, on and on. Sad to say, sometimes the church is also gripped by this. It's so sad because they'll never find satisfaction outside of Christ. Only Christ truly and fully satisfies. He brings change. Money can't. Money won't. If you have Christ, you have everything. Even if you lose everything else, you have everything, now and forever. That's his promise. J.C. Ryle says it this way, Jesus has bread enough and to spare for every soul that trusts in him. Even as believers, we feel weak, we feel infirm, we feel corrupt in and of ourselves. But he says, don't despair. If you feel that way, don't despair. Don't despair, because in Christ there's a boundless store of mercy. There's a boundless store of grace ready. He's ready to give it to you, to all who ask in prayer. That's a promise. That's his compassion. And his compassion Jesus freely gives. And his power he fully satisfies. He invites you. He says, you want to have a good feast? You want to eat what is good? Look at Isaiah 55. 
We'll close there. Everyone who's thirsty, come to the waters. You have no money. Come, buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? Your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me. Eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. Amen.